One thing I want to touch on that you just mentioned is like in our field, you hear a lot of times people kind of talking about, you know, it's not about you, it's about the athlete and a hundred percent. And like you said, that's the biggest one. We don't, we don't get a medal. You know, at the end of that day, you get on a plane, go home and that's it. Like it's the same. Your, your next day is the same. They, they're an Olympic champion for the rest of their lives. Um, so that part we get, we're not, we're not hidden into thinking we get Olympic medals, but I think there's a dichotomy there in that people forget that when you're there every day in the trenches, you share that goal, you share that yeah. investment emotionally. And so sometimes people say like, Oh, you're just a support staff. You know, it's their dream. And you're like, yeah, but eight years, you know, or six years or four years, I've been there every day sharing the dream and you buy into the dream because you're, you know, you're trying to help them get there and you can't help them your best if you don't believe it either. And so there is something there when you get there and, you know, you're, you know, I'm, when I'm watching some of these things and jumping up and down and you're going crazy because you feel so attached and emotionally invested. And so I think like, obviously seeing their joy, but also just feeling that like culmination of everything for yourself. Welcome to the Talking Shop Podcast, where I'm here to share stories, lessons, and experiences in sports performance and professional development. I'm your host, Matt Thomas, and today I'm joined by Corey Kennedy. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Always a good day when I can record a podcast, catch up with friends, and just hear some really cool stories. And so Corey is with the Chicago Cubs, as you can tell by his awesome polo. And I don't want to mess up your exact title, but it's Head of SNC and head of minor league sports science. Is that correct? Uh, no, it's head of SNC and performance science for the minor leagues. Gotcha. I, I knew it was the, the, dual, the dual title. So, a little bit of background before we hop into it how we know each other is I actually just tweeted out a simple video of me just running uh, 40 meters at different resistances. I want to see how the splits looked, which do not run 40 meters at nine kilograms in the name of science. And Corey tweeted at me and just said, hey, that's really interesting. Have you ever thought about X, Y, Z? I said, no, I didn't. You know, I clicked on his profile, said Chicago Cubs. He tweeted at me. So I figured, why not send him a DM? Seems like a nice guy. And, and then <laughs> looking back, I actually thought we had a lot more of a conversation before I offered hopping on the phone. But literally, I sent you one DM, asked you if you had a 10 sprint. You responded. You said yes. And then my next message was, Oh, well, you know, if you want to hop on the phone, let's do it. So it's crazy kind of how simple and, and how quick some of that stuff works out. So I just want to say thank you for our phone call. We had just a few days after that. That was like two and a half hours. Um, so I, I definitely learned a lot and I enjoyed hearing a little bit about you and your story. And I'm excited to share it with everyone else. So for those who are not familiar, can you please share a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm uh, new to living in the States. Uh, I grew up in a small town outside of Ottawa, which is the capital. Um, I went and played college football in Toronto, Canadian college football for a career. And when I was there, we didn't have very good infrastructure then uh, for strength and conditioning, stuff like that. It wasn't like the power five schools here where you get, you know, a staff of 10 strength coaches. So um, some of us who did were doing pretty well as players started to realize like, hey, there's maybe more to this than what we're getting. And so that got me really curious. So as a student in Ken, I started to just kind of like really go off and read stuff for myself really at first because I was trying to still go. I was hoping to go pro and things like that. And um, so that was kind of my athletic career. And then when I graduated, 
then I knew I wanted to get into high performance sport. And then there was a slow uh, buildup of, you know, wearing of many different hats at first is, you know, a lot of people when they start in this field, you got to work, you know, six jobs at a time. It's part-time here, part-time there, part-time yeah. there, this opportunity, that opportunity. And then um, I eventually got a full-time job in Toronto at a private training facility that was uh, awesome. It's called FITS and it's still there. Um, if you're in Toronto, it's uh, in Downsview Park on top of Scotiabank Pond on the upstairs. Then uh, I went to Montreal in Quebec um, and for six years as a head strength coach of one of Canada's Olympic Institutes. And so that was, that was amazing because I got to work with athletes from literally, you know, 20 sports in different ways for a bunch of Olympic Games. And then now uh, this is my first year with the Chicago Cubs. And then could you talk a little bit about uh, how the relationship started with someone in the Cubs at a conference and kind of just how that played out kind of throughout the years and just your journey from um, just meeting that one individual until leading you to now? Yeah, and, and, you know, it's not unlike what you mentioned about us, you know. Um, we had we had exchanged some tweets back and forth at, at different times, and then um, Adam Beard is our high-performance director here, and uh, Adam and I eventually met at a conference, and then a handful of conferences, because it kind of, that sort of happens. There's the big ones that everyone kind of goes to. And um, Adam, uh, at one point, was with the Cleveland Browns as their performance director or head of performance and I gave a talk at NSCA and I gave a similar kind of some more info to his staff and then we just started talking often and sharing different things about best practice and high performance and and some of the things that I was doing in the Olympics that he was trying to implement with the Browns and then eventually he left the Browns and became the high performance director of the Cubs and you know we kept talking and said hey would you like to join my staff and I think you know if we I know you like lessons. And so if we go back to lessons, it's you always have to understand that relationships matter so much because trust matters so much, right? Like if you can trust someone to do a good job, then, uh, and you know that that's what you're looking for, it's, you know, you want to be someone people can trust. So it was great that over years a relationship developed and then finally it's more where we can work together on the same team, which has been an awesome experience. And it's not that everyone you meet is necessarily going to pan out into getting a job with the Chicago Cubs or whatever it may be. But I think just having this kind of relationship, just mindset is a lot more genuine and it's going to go a lot farther. And instead of kind of, you know, for example, if you were to meet him and be like, oh, like, can I get in with the Browns? Like nudge, nudge versus like, oh, awesome guy. We're just talking shop. We'll exchange some tweets, da, da, da. Whenever we're at the same place, we'll chat you know, how much more comfortable he was with you at that point in time because you knew that you were a professional, not some person yeah. just trying to kind of hop on the train. So, you know, one thing that I've been doing a lot and I speak about a lot is is my networking, making my phone calls, trying to get into college pro sports. But at the end of the day, like we're chatting with humans, you know, and like networking isn't to get a job. It's to just increase the probability of getting a job. And, yeah. I, and I feel like people have somewhat of a, a misconception of like hop on one phone call, the next day it's an offer. It's like, no, like how many years did you know Adam before? You it was like four, it's like four years. Yeah, it's four years chatting, tweets, meeting at conferences and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, if, if you're a, a nice person with the right people and awesome stuff happens. Yeah, and, and with that timeline, as you said, there's there was no like moment like, oh, I'm just doing this for a job. At that point, you know, you don't, 
think about it that way. It's strictly, you know, a good professional relationship where you share ideas, talk. And I think that's a big thing about network, networking. I think you're right. I, I've met some people in our field that are very deliberate and it can burn bridges and, you know, people talk and people talk to each other and people will find out, you know, if you're not genuine and if you instead just go at it to, to learn and share and do whatever, then eventually, you know, as I'm hiring, I go, Hey, I remember talking to that guy. It was a good conversation. I wonder if he wants a job with the, with the Cubs, you know, and, and that makes my life too way easier as someone who's hiring, you know, in public domains, there's a lot of process that you kind of have to do. You have to put out, calls you have to see a certain amount of resumes things and and sometimes you can't cut corners but in the private sector you could do whatever you want you could make new positions tomorrow i could be like i want a new head of sports science and i don't want to wear that hat anymore i can just make it <laughs> and call someone and be like i'm your head of sports science and so with that you know it's always easier if i don't have to go and read 25 resumes and learn new people if i go i know someone i know their work i know they i can and trust them. I know they're genuine. I know they're great. Why not call and be like, hey, you want to team up? Let's work together. It just makes life a lot easier. You kind of know what you're going to get. And with that, knowing what you're going to get, like, how else can Adam know that you're legit besides actually working for the Browns? Well, being professional on Twitter, being professional with your phone calls, going to these conferences and showing that you're actively increasing um, or continuing education as a professional. So there's all these things that you can show how you are professional without actually like having that specific job, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. one, one other thing kind of on that topic. Um, so recently there was a job with the Canadian Sport Institute that was online and that's not open to people outside the U.S., which I realized later. But going back to you don't want to read all these resumes and all this different kind of stuff as someone hiring. And this was a talk with my mentor that he phrased it kind of like this where networking isn't necessarily for jobs, but networking is to get your application seen, you know? So let's say a hundred people apply to a job, right? And let's say an organization has five employees. Well, those five employees probably have one or two people in mind, right? Let's say that there's five to 10 people. That's an interview pool right then and there, you know, yeah. not even looking at the, at the applications. Or let's just say they each ask one or two people and then they recommend one or two people, you know? So it's like, the interview pool is almost pretty much like who they know and recommend, not necessarily the applications. Um, so when I saw that job, I texted you and just, and just said, Hey, do you know anyone over there? And then, you know, and then you could theoretically say, and the job's not open for me, you know, unfortunately, but Hey, you know, like my guy, Matt, nice guy. Um, just give his resume a look, you know, now instead of Matt, the random guy from the States, it's Matt, the random guy from the States that knows Corey, you know, and those are two, completely different things. So it's, it's just really awesome when those stories do work out, not saying that they always do, but just, you meet someone, you never know where people go in this field. It's so fluid, you know, and everyone does know everyone. It's such a small world. Um, but kind of just reframing some networking and just really cool from that story. Yeah. And you start to, like you said, it's such a small world. You, you, you learn, you meet guys in the MLB. And then if I take a job in two years in the NBA and some of those guys move to the NBA and you meet new guys in the NBA and those new guys, and then I was the Olympic world, you know, you mentioned CSIO. Those are guys I know very well and, and knew really well. So it's like, yes, I do. I know, you know, better than a lot of the guys I know down here in the States. So uh, unfortunately, that's part of, you know, logistics of jobs sometimes, visas and non-visas and changing countries. But 
uh, it, was, it was a good thought. They have a great staff there. Yeah. So just how do you show your value as a professional without having been there, done that? And that's just how you carry yourself. And that's, that's all you can do. Then that's all you can do. Um, and then when it comes time and if you have that relationship, I felt comfortable saying, Hey, do you know those guys? You know, and, and you were nice enough to, to offer, you know, making that connection points. Um, and that's how they applicate, you know, and at the end of the day, like you said, like they, they have a very um, thorough hiring process, you know, just because I know you doesn't mean that I get the job. Yeah. You, know? you still have to prove here. Yes, yes, yes. yeah. it, it gets your application seen, you know, versus just kind of discarded. Um, and you were on my list of people for my podcast, regardless. Okay. Um, uh, as, after we had our first two and a half hour phone call, um, I was like, yep, he's, he's going on the list one of these days. So knocking two birds out with one stone. Um, okay. So I think that's all that, that I wanted to chat about. Just, you know, it states you had a few different jobs um, in Canada, the Sport Institute and the Media Adam is the one thing I really wanted to chat about. So I think that that was an awesome kind of discussion and, and story point right there. But we'll get into it. What is the coolest story you have thus far in your career? You know, the coolest story, I decided to be kind of cliche and not pick one. Um, and a big one was like Olympics was really neat because you have major competitions. Like every every sport's going to have like a world championships every year. And then, you know, every four years you have Pan Am games. And then every four years you have Olympic games. And there's a couple other different ones, Commonwealth games that are big. And um, I think what really is the coolest thing about our jobs and my job was being able to be present for some of those moments when athletes like reach the podium, it might be gold, it might be silver, it might be bronze, or it might be like a personal best and you didn't quite win, but you know, at peak competition, you did it. And then I've had a couple experiences with seasons and, 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 and like a championship season. And to me, just the, the joy that you can share with them when they finally like make it and they do have been able to, you know, have that like having someone who just got their medal and you know what they did for four years, years, 10 years, like to that is by coolest. And the part I'd add to that is in the Olympics, you get a lot of sports that don't get a lot of publicity for most of the time. And when I see like your family, your friends, people, you know, all of a sudden learning your athletes at the games, right? Like everyone, in the country watching for those three weeks. But, you know, before that, they didn't know who is on the judo team or the fencing team or the cycling team. And then all of a sudden you hear people talking about these athletes that you've been working with and watching grow for six years and you know what they go through. They, you know, you know, the grind every day and uh, you could choose words like choices and commitments and, and even sacrifice. And then when all of a sudden, everyone's so intrigued by their story for those three weeks. I wish it was longer, but it's just it's like really cool to be like, Oh, you're talking about this fencer, but like, you know, the other thousand days of the cycle, you didn't know who any fencer was, but now people down your street and neighbors are like, Oh, did you see this person? You're like, yes, I did see, you know, I've, I've also been there the whole time, you know, but it's not about how long we've been there, but just that when they finally get that recognition for so much work and, you know, when you compare it to pro sport, Olympics has that crazy long trajectory for the result, right? Like you're talking one athlete is four years for their Olympics, but the majority of Olympians will go 
qualify your first Olympics and probably not compete for a medal. Like you get there and you're there. Then you usually have another four-year cycle where you can be a medal contender. It's very rare that your very first Olympics, you're like one of the bottom. Uh, if you think of all the athletes, most of them it's eight, maybe 12, where it's like, I got there, I qualified, finished 18th, and then the next year it's like, the next cycle, it's like, now we can be a top 10, top eight, top six. So for a lot of them, it's like their entire 20s just for that result, whereas pro sport is, you know, you could win a championship at 21 and then wash out of the league at 24, and, you know, each year was a different story, and it's not quite the same. So for me, the coolest story is just seeing, like, the absolute joy and jubilation of, like, we did it, you know, and sometimes it's, we did it, and sometimes it's just seeing them and their teammates like we did it. And it's still equally as powerful to me every time I think about people I've gotten to, especially the ones I've been there, when you get to see them, like, live and their eyes, their face, and everything about it. So for me, I had to go cliche there and go, like, celebrations and, and pride. Just being in the trenches every day, like, just being so happy for them because you just knew everything that went into it as well. And, and like you said, it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's not your medal, it's theirs, but it's like, you know how, you know how much it means to them. And like the only people that know how much it means to them is like them, their teammates, their family, and their staff that like were there every step of the way. Not just those people, you know, they, they know them for three weeks and then they're gone, you know, uh, yeah. which, you know, isn't to their, to their discredit, but um, I, I can only imagine just like, yeah, that's just super cool at the Olympic stage. Is there any few, a couple that, that stick out? Um, no, I don't want to pick, I don't want to pick one cause there's a lot and there's some that were losses that were still, you know, special. But one thing I want to touch on that you just mentioned is like in our field, you hear a lot of times people kind of talking about, you know, it's not about you, it's about the athlete and, hundred percent. And like you said, that's the biggest one. We don't, we don't get a medal. You know, at the end of that day, you get on a plane, go home and that's it. Like it's the same. Your, your next day is the same. They, they're an Olympic champion for the rest of their lives. Um, so that part we get, we're not, we're not hidden into thinking we get Olympic medals, but I think there's a dichotomy there in that people forget that when you're there every day in the trenches, you share that goal. You share that yeah investment emotionally and so sometimes people say like oh you're just a support staff you know it's their dream and you're like yeah but eight years you know or six years or four years i've been there every day sharing the dream and you buy into the dream because you're you know you're trying to help them get there and you can't help them your best if you don't believe it either and so there is something there when you get there and you know you're you know I'm, when i'm watching some of these things and jumping up and down and you're going crazy because you feel so attached and emotionally invested and so i think like obviously seeing their joy but also just feeling that like culmination of everything for yourself uh there was one that i i played like the tiniest of roles uh you mentioned csi pacific um at the 2018 olympics in pyeongchang uh jeremy shepherd who is the head of strength and conditioning for and sports medicine for um canadian freestyle snowboard he came uh, back to Canada from uh, Australia a handful of years ago, and he's been out um, in Whistler. And so he works with the Canadian um, freestyle snowboard team, and they're they're very very good. We have some of the like four or five of the very best um, guys on the circuit and women as well. And but a lot of them come from Quebec, and 
So we had developed a relationship and um, one of those guys, his name is Sebastien Toutain, and everyone just calls him Seb Toots on all the social medias. You know, he, he was a phenom who started, you know, going to X Games and winning at 15 years old. And he's had an incredible career, but he, he would come home all the time to Montreal. So we had a relationship where essentially like Jeremy was 100% his trainer and he kind of created the plans. But when he was home for a significant period of time, I was essentially like kind of his chaperone. So I would work with him and tweak anything as we needed and communicate with Jeremy and monitor him. And so we uh, built a relationship going up to the games and then uh, I got to go to the games and I got to see uh, the prelims and talk to him and see him after the prelims Seb and, and just chat with him about it. And then unfortunately I, I flew back from the games the day that the final was happening because uh, it was after, because the women's hockey final had already happened. And when I landed in the airport in, in Chicago, I turned on my phone and he just won gold. And then just to see those highlights and him winning gold and then seeing him in the interviews, just how happy he was. That was one where I wasn't physically there for the actual event, but I was there, you know, the week leading up. And, and again, it's not even like I played the smallest of all parts, but yeah, I got to know him along the way and see it happen was, was really cool. But um, I've been present for some more where it's, you know, Pan Am Games, Commonwealth Olympics. And, um, you know, when you get to see an athlete and, you know that they express their their thanks, you know, at, at that moment is, is a meaningful one. And I like how you mentioned that you become just as emotionally invested as they are and, and their dreams become your dream. So it's it's basically like, well, part of your dreams as a professional is to help your athletes dream. So like whenever they get that medal, it's like you somewhat realizing your own dreams as well. But I can only imagine like, for example, you landing in Chicago, giving a a big fist pump, you know, like spinning in circles. Yeah. All these people are like, what is going on? But like, no one can understand unless they're in the trenches, you know? So they're like, who, who the heck is that guy? And it's like, oh, this guy that I was day in and day out with for four years finally just got, you know, achieved his dream. They're like, oh, okay. That makes a little bit more it's sense. It's like, this, this, guy, this guy just won gold, everybody. And yeah, yeah everybody's just going anywhere in the world. No one cares. It's like, security. I was alone at the time. Uh, but yeah, it's, the longer you get to spend it with an athlete, I can only imagine just the intensification of, of that like common dream. And then what I, the next question I want to ask, and then we'll move on to the next one is comparing, contrasting between working with those uh, quadrennial athletes and having this kind of four year mindset versus working now with annual athletes. Can you kind of compare and contrast a little bit from the technical side about the programming and stuff like that? You know, what do you, like, not like pros, counts. kind of just an overall uh, compare and contrast about going from Olympic four years to now annual pro sports. Yeah, I think my role is interesting in that regard because I kind of get to split, which is good. And, um, you know, to speak of the structure of the Cubs and most most major league baseball teams, we talked about my title earlier. I'm head of strength and conditioning and performance science for the minor leagues. And I have a colleague, Shane Wallen, who's the head of strength and conditioning for the major leagues. So, he works with the major league team full time, and I have a team that works minor leagues. And in baseball, minor leagues is up to 200 players. We're going to see with COVID and everything if that stays the same or not, because there's talk of potentially eliminating some levels and not. But we'll have to wait and see. For now, you know, we have you know 200 players that we're grooming for the major league, so we have a large staff. And so I kind of have this zoomed out look where I'm trying to project players almost like a quadrennial. 
we just drafted this guy. It'll probably be four years till he gets the majors. How do we look at that? But, you know, the coaches that work for me are, uh, they're going to have to handle like a minor league season each year. And then, you know, I'm, I'm a direct colleague. And I work closely with Shane. So we have alignment across our program. Shane is 100% in the trenches for like every day, right? Like, this season, you know, the playoffs are still on. We made the playoffs, but unfortunately got eliminated in the first round. But in Major League Baseball, when you're trying to make the playoffs win a championship, you, you, you're trying to win today. You know, every day is today. I'm trying to set a different tone across the minor leagues and saying, you know, for that guy, today doesn't matter. You know, that's that's communicating not just to my strength coaches, but to baseball coaches going, I know you want to win the low A championship but that's not this guy's goal right like this guy we're projecting here so we're constantly kind of discussing these these trade-offs of at what levels in the minor leagues are we more competing for the day in which case you know when we talk about programming you know you may push a guy a little less in the late room mid-season to keep him available you don't want that risk side of he's tired he's burnt out he's you know, he's at wit's end. Or is there someone that you go, I don't care if you get three hits tonight. You can get zero hits tonight. You're going to work really hard this month because it'll work out in four years. Now, that's not intuitively easy because every athlete knows, like, you wake up and whatever game you're playing, you want to win. It's hard to convince a younger guy, like, I don't care if you win. You know, Like, I don't care if you win. I care that you win in four years for the Cubs. So, we have this kind of, I have this middle ground that I sit in, but we definitely, I'm definitely having those conversations all the time where, you know, we're discussing what the major league needs is. And I'm talking to Shane of how he's operating for those guys. We're working together with his constraint of like, I got to win today. And I'm going, okay, well, I can take these guys and I can push the, the, I can push tomorrow, but there's still a big group of guys that are the higher levels of minor leagues where it is today. And they could get called up any day, you know? So there's, there's definitely a middle ground where I, I get to project some guys long-term and, and slow them down. And there's others where you say, okay, I get it. Season's on, change our focus. This is keep him available, producing, getting it ready. Cause you know, if he's doing well, he can get called up to Chicago and help the team win, you know? So it's a really interesting uh, position because you kind of get to zoom in and out all the time. And I bet having that background or that prior experience of, of having those quadrennial athletes, you know, once you go from four years, it's like, oh, it's only one year at a time. It's a piece of cake, you know. But then also, I like how you framed it in, well, these new draftees, you know, we're expecting them to contribute in three, four years. And uh, Aaron Kanan, the MILB Sports Science Coordinator for the uh, Giants, he was talking about – his uh, dissertation in Olympic weightlifting and how he was a sports science coordinator and he had all these athletes that he had to manage and all these staff members and he had to put all the numbers together and da da da. And it's like, well, change like Olympic weightlifting specifics for baseball specifics. And that sounds pretty similar to, uh, to, to like a baseball sports science role, you know? And so it's like the Olympics, oh, well, you know, you got four years, you got to do X, Y, Z, da da da. Well, it sounds a lot like a, a a draftee, you know, uh, a, a later rounder. Um, yeah. So everything's a lot more similar than, than dissimilar, definitely. Well, and that's where the kind of learning comes in is, and I think where um, Olympics have sort of 
a more experience and that other sports hopefully are, are learning from that. And, you know, that's part of me going from that to here is trying to bring that perspective is when you're Olympics, what's crazy is even though I mentioned you have a world championships every year and different competitions, some sports are really good at saying, I don't care if we win, you know, if we know, you know, you need X, Y, Z to win an Olympic medal, whether that's, you know, speed, vertical jump height, strength, size, mass, um, et cetera, or technical elements, you've got to try and map out the best way to get there. And being extremely competitive for four years may not be the way if you're making large scale changes. And the Olympics are really good at going year one of a quadrennial, build something, you know, year two, built on the year three is when you hopefully it's like your dry run where you work out the kinks, but you try and be pretty competitive, especially because it's probably a qualifying year. And then year four, it's like finishing touches, win your medals. So, you know, that's what you hope. Whereas baseball, you know, when I came in, there's a lot of conversations around guys that were really low in the minors, you know, recent draft picks where it's almost like, Hey, you know, this guy's profile hasn't changed in two years, like his physical profile. But we know it's not where you would profile a guy to play Major League Baseball. Like you look at him, you go, that's not yet a Major League player. But the way he's being handled, you know, let's win tonight's game at, you know, low A, whatever, was not conducive with building, you know. And so that's something where some cultures just aren't ready to see that, like, you gotta sacrifice something, and sometimes it's wins at one point so that you can get them later. Otherwise, you keep running out of time in the off season when you only get three months. And so that's one thing where you know there's a lot of reasons why I think Olympics is a phenomenal place to work, um, and that's one of them is like really learning that the like priority three, two, one type of things. And it's like if your Olympics is one, you can't have all your competitions one. You gotta start. You know, that's unfortunately a four. Even though you say, oh, it's a World Cup in China and that's cool, but it's a four. So we're going to train right through it, you know, and things like that. And and I always have that end goal in mind where it's like, well, you, you want his profile to go up, but, you know, you're you're managing him in the game like you're trying to win right now. So it's like you can't, you can't have both. But then having a staff, having a very open line of communication, you know, getting everyone on the same page is where those things really come to fruition. And then I don't know how I, how I forgot to bring this up earlier. Uh, the, the profile kind of jogged my memory when you were chatting about, uh, I think it was one of the chats that you gave that Adam was like, what, what you just said, that's what I'm trying to do with the Cubs. Come with me about like building these profiles of like, well, what is a Cub? Yeah. You know, like you have to know what a cub is, and then you have to like help get them to that spot. So um, if we could kind of go down that rabbit hole of uh, if you're allowed to disclose kind of like what's your game plan and, and getting all this data and putting it all together. And, and I really liked how you described it, um, putting together the, the field data with the weight room data. And well, like what even is good? Like what are our players at? Um, if we could just go. There. Yeah, I, I mean, I won't go into specifics, especially now that you mentioned that you had Aaron on here and we played the Giants tomorrow in the next dimension. Oh, I can't give away all our secrets if I know they're on this podcast. But what what we are trying to do at the Cubs, I can be be clear about is we're we're trying to be the best development organization in baseball and we want to be 
an example of you know the best high performance environment for all sports and to do that i think it starts by being able to you know essentially document and prove what you're doing and why you're doing it and and it sounds crazy but if you think of baseball 10 years ago where we didn't have a lot of sports science roles and things like that you get guys who come in and you go oh he had this down here you know sophomore slump whatever oh we'll just have to try harder you know there's a lot of places that didn't have documentation did the guy maybe just get weaker like his inability to hit wasn't as such bad luck he maybe wasn't strong you know Maybe he vacationed too long in the offseason, didn't actually train, or maybe he got hurt and never got back to where he was. And there was a lot of places where Olympics were kind of the first to really do a lot of quantification of stuff. And so that's, what, again, why I think it's a great place to learn. But, you know, Aaron and what they do at ETSU is, is a phenomenal education in sports science and documenting. What do you do? What do you see? How do you react? How do you build so that you can keep cycling forward? And Really, that's what we're trying to do is we're, you know, we bought a lot of toys, you know, technology so that we have an infrastructure across the entire organization where we can just track meaningful changes and say, hey, we're able to do this in season, but we have struggled, we struggled doing that. What does that mean for next year? You know, what does that mean for this player? How do we handle a player differently if, if you know, the scouts in the front office, everyone says, this is what we want a pro ball player to look like or be. First of all, what are those numbers, right? What does that mean? What is that profile? And then how do you build it? And you might have an idea of like, if I said, you know, get this guy stronger, Matt would write me a program, you know, you write it and then you just trust it works because you think I, I remember reading this book and talking to that guy and this seems like the greatest thing of all time. What if I told you he barely got stronger? Like what, what did you expect? Was it 10% gain? Was it 20? Was it three? What if you thought it was 10, it was only three? What do we do then, right? But when we don't document anything, we literally don't know the difference between three and 20. And you might just keep writing that program for that guy. And then it's just like, that's not actually working. Or there's another program that's working twice as good with that guy. So maybe we need to think of his circumstances. So without getting into really specifics, we're, we're constantly trying at the moment to see how many different things we can kind of measure and profile, you know, create organizational standards and thresholds. And if they don't seem to make sense to how, you know, a pitcher throws or a hitter hits or things, we'll throw them out. But if they do, then we go, okay, how do we build them across years and a one year? And, and what does that mean for baseball decisions? And one of the things that I'm really proud about is that we have such an open-minded organization that, we're having really constructive conversations around, okay, hitting, fielding, pitching. Should I pause what I'm doing for you guys to do that? Because I know I'll eventually hit a roadblock in pitching, hitting, fielding until that happens. Let's say it's strength or power or speed. Whereas I think there's a lot of sports that don't have that conversation still. And, you know, they're teaching what they're teaching. and We're doing our best. And until one of us hits pause, we're probably not going to get there. And yet to do that is it's not easy. Someone has to have the humility to go, my thing is less important today than your thing. Today it's it might be pitching is less important than getting this guy stronger. And tomorrow might be, you know, setting a PR is less important than giving him a bit more time on the mound to try a new pitch or to throw a few extra pitches or go an extra inning. So 
that's that's what we're doing. There's no, I'm not giving you specific numbers or or tests, but we we're trying to really close the loop on communicating and what that means for how do we get a player better and and then know what that looks like. Is he actually better? Is he not better? Does he look like he is he doing things that pros do? Like can he jump as high, run as fast, be as strong? If that's the case, then you know I can't teach him to hit a curveball. But I can say, hey, he's got the rest of the tools, right? And then we know that. We can say we've mapped that. Um, so that's that's really what we're trying to do with the Cubs. Awesome. And, and not to ask you to disclose anything that you're not allowed to, but I, I just remember it being a really interesting conversation. It just continues to reinforce this thought of like – of sports science is really sports scientists. It's not sports science technology. You know, and, and what I really enjoyed about your story was – you said that we have all of these toys and then you rattled off like three or four questions about the data that it gives you, you know, yeah. and how it really is this kind of like integration model cycle circle, however you want to phrase it. And then all these conversations that you have to have with all of these different staff members and all these different stakeholders, whatever term I want to use, how it sports science is really a, it's more a way of thinking than just like hitting record, paste in Excel, you know, equals if match you yeah. know average whatever there's a lot more that goes into it and then along those lines of of going a lot more into it um your role as the head and being in kind of a, a manager uh, director role could you chat about if you could give any two cents about communicating with those variety of different stakeholders and how to navigate those waters to say like like, hey, bro, I know your thing is X, but like this player doesn't need X, you know? So if, if you could chat about how to, how you handle having those, those tough conversations or just the variety of conversations and um, the humility, the ego, kind of just all that different stuff and the role that you're in. Yeah, um, I mean, one is that like nobody likes to be told what they have to do, right? And so that's where you have to like firstly not go in and say like I cannot go in there as the head of SC performance science and say, hey, you've got to shut down this pitcher so I can build it, right? Like you, I can't. That that'll never work. Someone will go, what are you talking about? You don't you don't even know pitching, right? You're you're just the SC sports science guy. So that's number one. I the big thing I think that starts a lot of these conversations off is just like an oversharing of information that tries to be as unbiased as you can. I think that's that's a huge part of, of sports science is I don't want to start by trying to think I've already figured out pitching to the director of pitching who pitched in the big leagues for 17 years. Like that would be a bad angle. But if I can say, hey, this is what I'm seeing from, you know, our guys. This is what we see in the data, what I'm observing. And in my case, I might say, and, you know, historically with the different sports I've been in, things like this, I've seen this come up a lot. And so this leads me to believe, like, I wonder about this, this, and that. What do you think? And then, you know, you start these conversations where you can say, hey, there's reason to believe this could be happening or going on, or we can think about it. But I don't want to start with, like, you know, I figured out pitching and therefore follow, tell, I'm telling you what we have to do then you hope it's a really fruitful conversation around, oh, that's interesting. I haven't thought of it that way, or I have thought of it that way, or I have thought of it that way, but I have to deal with this. And I'm like, oh shit, I didn't realize. You know, then you're right. I, my thing's not more important than that. But then sometimes it's, you know, you might see it a huge change. If we can, we can do this now, 
we can check the box off, right? And then we can move on. But if we don't do it now, every year we're gonna come back and go, deficient, red light to the same thing, you know? And, and so it really starts with, you know, as you mentioned, humility is that, you know, they're really good at what they do. If I think I'm really good at what I do, I have to think that they're equally good or better at what they do too, right? And so I can't come in and tell them that I know what they what they need. What I need to say is, is what I'm seeing. And I think that communication is something that in my career I've gotten better at and I, I used to get really frustrated at. I thought, how do these coaches, decision makers, directors, heads of performance, you know, um, director of a sport, how do they not care about some of these things I'm seeing? How come they're not asking about why? How come they don't this? I've got all this cool info, bam. And I just wasn't good at, you know, putting out that more, like, like I said, unbiased observation piece. Like, I'm just going to provide you with this observation. I've got these guys. This is what we're seeing. Kind of interesting. What do you think about it? The more you do that, the more then they learn that what you actually do have and don't have and what it could do. Instead, you know, you're like, you're sitting on what you think is your pile of gold and they don't even know it's gold. Like they think it's, you know, one man's trash, another man's treasure type of thing. And they're not going to care about it unless they know what it could do. But you also can't ram it down the throat because they don't know it yet, right? So um, that was something early in my career. I used to get frustrated. Oh, I've got, you know, if I thought I was doing this great testing and study design where it's like we've got these diving athletes and we're doing this testing monthly and I'm able to track all this cool stuff. If I didn't properly communicate what we're seeing, the coach isn't going to ask me about it. And then I'm going to go, he doesn't even care. And then I'm going to get mad, right? But then I've just gone circles with myself. It's I haven't actually gone circles with the coach. You know, the coach isn't a problem, you know. And that's something that I found I had to kind of slowly learn is like, no, I, that's me. That's all on me. That's it's on me not sharing, not putting things out there, starting discussions without an end. And it kind of goes back to your networking thing. It's like you have to be able to throw it out there knowing that it might stop there. I was like, interesting, let's pin it. But we're still going forward with this. And you have to be willing to go, okay, I'm not gonna you know, kick in my office and get all mad that the coach doesn't wanna do my thing tomorrow. I have to be able to put it out there knowing that it might just, just sit there and linger for a bit until we have more conversations and a better understanding. Um, and that's, that's hard to do, it takes patience and it's not easy to just go like, when you think you're right to just not have your way tomorrow and I think that's a it's a hard thing because we all want to prove our value like right away you want to be like especially like in that situation I said our director of pitching Craig Breslow is a brilliant guy um Ivy League education pitches in the big leagues for 17 years now he's our director of pitching you know I'm like wow look at this guy's absolute expert right so if I want to you know, proves that I'm good at my job. It's a really easy flex to be like, this is what I know. I'm certain of it. You got to do it because I'm the boss too. But I can't do that because it's not going to work, right? So I have to go, I've seen some things in my day in a different place. And this is what I'm seeing with your data. What do you think? And then maybe have that conversation, which now we are. We're having lots of those conversations. But I didn't always have those my whole career. I wish I did. 
And I like how you brought it back to the networking example where that first conference you met Adam at wasn't, hey, come with me to the Cubs or come with me to the Browns. And your first conversation with Craig wasn't, hey, how can we get our guys better? Or, hey, tell me about your data. But like you said, now you're having those conversations, you know, and and I, I, re- I also really enjoy when you said just as much as you think that you have all of the answers and, and the, the treasure map, they think they have it and then some, you know, because yeah. at the end of the day, like they play the sport and that's their thing, you know, so it's it's really just like putting yourself in their shoes, I guess. I'm trying to figure out a fancier way to say it, but that's really what it is. It's like, well, how would I feel if, if the pitching coach was like, no, you don't get it. You've never played da da da. Like this baseball is, is way more important. Well, it's basically what people traditionally do to that guy, you know? So it's, yeah. it's taking a step back. It's, it's how can I start that conversation that, and that dialogue? And like you said, unbiased d- data or um, comments or drawing on, drawing on your own experience showing, Hey, I'm a human. I don't just recite Excel sheets, you know, I yeah. different things or, or even going like, Hey, wh- like, uh, what do you think about X, Y, Z? Or, or I have this one little plan. And, and that's one thing that I really enjoyed that I started doing, um, at TCU was my best data points is going to be the anecdotal evidence of the players and the coaches, you know, and then how do I have my means and what I do to help kind of bridge and fill that gap? Um, so yeah, I, I thought that that was just a really cool story. Thank you. Well, and there's there's the comic, there's a quote go, goes around all the time that it's like, uh, you know, if you're just if if you just gonna come with your opinion, we'll use mine. If not, show me data. Something along those lines. It's a one of the early data scientists. Um, I I also can't remember the name, but I've seen it around, and and that's one of those ones where communicating data is is not a simple task either and like you said like one you can send a spreadsheet and there's a full spreadsheet no one wants to look at period you open with all these numbers and columns i don't get it and then then the, the other level is hey you can see that this 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 is definitely this 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 right like we really want to put our judgment into the data instead of going hey it seems like there's a difference between group A and group B in this metric. Does that say something to you? Does like, what, is that what you would have assumed? Is that what you think? Like you, you talked about scientists and the method and we all inherently like do hypothesis, but anytime you like make a program, like you're technically guessing at the result, but very rarely do we like reflect on like, did it actually work? Get what I thought it would get and do the full circle. We kind of like, leaves the hypothesis open and forget to go back. But sometimes you gotta just take the data and offer like, let's exchange hypotheses here. And then then I can go, okay, that's what my thought was, but I didn't want to throw my judgment until you, if you go, yeah, no, that looks silly because actually this, and I go, okay, I just learned something about baseball players that I, I didn't realize, right? But if I go in there and go, this, this guy's bigger than this, therefore X, I might be way off, you know? And there's there's a ton of things that that's kind of happened where I've had this little thing in my mind, like, Oh, maybe there's something here. And then all of a sudden I'm talking to someone and I go, Nope. Okay. Noted. You know, before I say something stupid, it's not a thing. I can move on from that. And, but we always want to like add our judgment. Therefore this must be, and it's like, no, maybe not. Well, let that, let it stew for 
a couple people first and then, then we'll go. And creating that conversation and with those examples of what do you think about or would you have assumed X, you know, and and imagine if it's like, oh, Corey's walking in, he's going to start spewing numbers at us versus, oh, man, we're going to have a super awesome conversation about like baseball and data. Like those are two completely different mindsets when you walk in the room, yeah. you know, um, where they're more a part of that process versus like, you know, this this high performance model, whatever you, you want to call it. Is like that. That is where that conversation comes in. Where it's, well, I'm the expert on the data, and you're the expert on the baseball. So like, let's figure it out together. Um, and then over time, that's when, hey, come with me to X organization. Or that's where it's, I'm the baseball guy, but I want to know your opinion on that, on this. Yeah. You know, as the data guy. And those really only build up over time. But it's an integrated process. They want to, you know, all be a part of it. Everyone likes talking about themselves and and their own um, expertise and what they love. And, and it's baseball, you know, and how do you slowly kind of bridge that gap? Well, in every organization, you're going to have that spectrum of the person who wants all the data, like, oh, can you send me that data? I want to see what you're talking about. I want, I want to see the same numbers and double check them kind of thing. And then you have the whole other side of the spectrum that no matter how meaningful and important it is to you and their job, still don't really want to interact with the data itself and so kind of trying to always package like this is data this is a question or conversation piece so that you can interact with either of them at the same time is important because like i mean you, you were talking about baseball and if we go back to just the general baseball like think about how much you know conflict the the analytics craze has created over the last 20 years it's like there's always people that go stupid analytics blah 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 it's just explaining how you play baseball right and in a lot of ways it's not changing baseball but it's just changing the conversation around baseball but there's still people that just don't want to hear it they don't want to talk about numbers they don't want to talk about this even though the concept they might be talking about is completely quantifiable. You know, we talked about pitch framing. You know, before it was just like, oh, he's just a great catcher for our staff. What does that even mean? Well, he calls a good game and he steals some pitches. And now it's like, I can tell you how many pitches he steals. And some guy goes, yeah, but still. I actually had, I actually had an exchange with a coach on the field this summer where a player made – made a great play in the field, uh, caught a fly ball in center, big toss to home plate, and like on a rope, just an absolute howitzer. And the coach has been in the big leagues and minor leagues. He's been in baseball for 40 years. And I'm walking by and he turns to me and goes, wow, that guy's powerful. And I said, he's one of the top three most powerful guys you know, strength to, to weight ratio in our work. And he kind of turned to me and was like, no, but I mean, just looking at him, you can see he's powerful. He totally just like swatted it like he was a mosquito. I gave him like, I thought I was just confirming. I thought, I was like, I'm agreeing with you, right? You say he looks powerful, I'm telling you, you're right, he is powerful. But me validating it with data no i stop it don't even tell me the 
I'm telling you, he looks powerful. And I just thought that was such an interesting moment. Like I left going, wow, you know, that was so cool because he was right. And I was right. And we were literally having this like mental high five of we both know he's powerful, but because we used like, I tried it in a whole different terms. I was, I went all sciencey on him and went, yeah, I can tell you the number. Like, yes, he's powerful to this degree. It was like, don't give me the science. I'm telling you he's powerful. And I thought that was just such an interesting, like, it was like this mini clash that wasn't a real clash. There's no fight. Like, we didn't go. But it was just like, yeah, exactly. Good job. Like, we we're all happy. It was a good day. Got me in the field. And I kept on with my job. He kept on with his job. And I just thought that is such an interesting interaction, you know? And it constantly reinforced to me that, like, you have to, like, vary your communications. And it can't just become a day of time. It can be with feelings and it can be appearances and things, but you can't ever be like, oh, he's definitely this and throw like a judge not backed either. So it's, it's a game for sure that you have to kind of learn how to play. And I, I enjoy how you phrased it's, it's not changing baseball, throw a ball, hit ball, catch ball, run around bases one more time than, than the other team. Right. Yeah. It's changing the conversation around it. And that's where being a sports scientist, I'm not the manager of the technology, I'm the sports scientist. Yeah. And with that comes the conversations of the data, phrasing the data, how to lead those discussions and visualize it, which you said, some people want it all, some people don't want any piece of it. So that's where, you know, it's, it's really not the numbers, it's, it's what, you know, you have to have good numbers first, but you know, yeah. to get the most out of it, it's it's how you talk about it and all those different things where it's so much more goes beyond um, the actual kind of data itself, which is what I'm, I'm coming to realize more and more. Yeah, but again, you made the point, like you come out saying with zero data, right? You have to have a sense of what's happening and be able to reflect on it. It's just, you can't just constantly like email speeds and be like, see, there's the numbers. And it's just like, there's half of your staff don't want to talk that way. So we're, we're, we're coming up on about an hour ish. And I think I'm going to treat this more like a 2.0 episode. So 2.0 okay. is where it's more conversations like this as opposed to the questions. And um, I'm, I'm guessing that there's probably going to be a 2.0 in the future, but I want to end on this question, save the other three for uh, the future. In your opinion, what is the difference between someone at your level who's doing good sports science and someone at your level who's crushing sports science? As we've That's a good question. Um, I think it, it, it's what we talked about. Um, I think you have to have a vision to start with and you know that's where working with adam for me is so great because you know adam has a phenomenal vision of what we mentioned before but what are the cubs what do we want to do with the cubs and um you know like i i also the networking luckily we came together to work together because we also had a bit a lot of shared ideas around that vision otherwise it wouldn't happen that's again part of networking when you realize you share a bunch of things with someone it's a lot easier uh, work together and so when you have a vision for what you want to accomplish then you sort of 
try to constantly feed all these items into that vision. And it sounds very, you know, abstract, but if I had zero vision, what I would do is I would grab every little piece and just randomly constantly be just looking at things instead of starting with really big questions. And that's, that's what the vision is. The vision is what are the questions we want to answer first? And not only what do we want to answer, but how best can we answer that question? Cause that's something that people go like, if you tell me, you know, what does it take to be a home run hitter? You're going to have to figure out how do you prove that? Or like, what are the tools I need? What are the things I need to measure to be able to say whether we're impacting a person's ability at home runs? And if I don't define those things first, then I'm going to answer the question potentially in a very wrong way where I might just go, well, my best home run hitter has my, has like a great, split squad and therefore heavy split squads, right? Like I'll, I'll find my answer to the only information I have. But if I start with, okay, what tools, what technology or other, or how do I integrate with the, the hitting department on the metrics they collect and the things they do, how do I put all those things there to actually be able to answer that question? And if I don't have the tools, I can't read the question properly. So you have to create levels, level of what are the first questions we want to answer and how best can we answer those questions? And then you hope that once you answer one or two questions that it opens doors to questions. And like I said, the questions can be causative around, around like these main baseball items, like hitting home run, throwing the ball really hard. But then the questions filter out into like long-term development questions. So like, it's like, how do I build that thing from scratch? Now know what it kind of what it looks like to have it, or what I think you know the the big causative pieces are. But then, how do I make sure every player gets that? You know, that's not easy because then you realize that you know your twenty draft picks all come at it way differently. You know, I've got the two hundred eighty pound six foot eight pitcher, and I've got the eleven hundred seventy pound full twenty five miles an hour that look completely different doing it, except for the fact that you never wind up it. But body type and, and mechanics, they might be like, well, that's a different operation. So I can't say you get it from being, that can't be, could be part of it. We could all go, well, the physics states that, you know, mass can help. Okay, but it can't be the only thing. So really crushing a sport. Science is constantly reflect on, like, what are your questions? What is the vision in terms of like what are we trying to answer as an organization, and then, and then you filter it out into your daily processes. So for us, that's that's you know across our high performance department, how do we in mental skills, nutrition, strength and conditioning, and medical integrate within our teams to be able to answer those questions? How do we go out to baseball to answer those questions, and then how as a staff do we build athletes to get through that and and that's where like sports science hopefully informs everything rather than just being like, I'm the guy in my back room with my trackers and my three screens and my code, just sending out an Excel sheet, which is unfortunately what the sports science is. And that's not crushing it. Use the term crushing sports science. That's not crushing it because it doesn't inform the daily practice of everyone in the room. And, and 
also gives them a place to contribute. Um, kind of where I see it as being, being meaningful. And bringing this full circle as I wrap up this episode, we'll be right at an hour. Whether it's the Olympics, well, okay, we have we want to be on the podium, hopefully the, the top spot. Well, do we know what an Olympian looks like? Or do we know those qualities of that gold medal Olympian? Okay, then where are we now? And filling in the gaps isn't, like you said, isn't as as crazy as as one might seem. Okay, well, we have all these players and we want them to be Cubs one day. Well, what are our Cubs and where are they now? Okay, well, then we kind of know how to get them there. And then there's all these different uh, moving pieces, like you said, in this high-performance model. You have the sport coaches and the variety of the sport coaches. You have, you have medical, nutrition, sports psych, all those different things. And then, you know, number and data is where you can quantify literally every one of those pieces. You can somehow get numbers on that. But it, it starts with the vision and, and it informs the questions, you know, and that's the basis of the scientific method is your question or your hypothesis, you know? So, you know, to, to get better answers, you got to start with better questions. And then it starts with yeah. the vision. So... Uh, that'll leave us right at an hour. I'm sure we're on track for another two and a half hour phone call. Um, but I'm going to end it at this for just to respect your time, to respect the listener time, uh, just to say thank you to you. Thank you to the listener. I'm looking forward to the next one. Hopefully there's a 2.0 in our future. I'm looking forward to our, our chats regardless. So thank you very much for your time. Uh, just sharing a little bit about your background, um, just sports science, what you're, what you're cooking up now. Um, and yeah, thank you. This was awesome. I appreciate being on here, Matt. And I did note things for those other three questions. So if you want to do the next version on another day, I've got, I've already got the notes made. All right. Fantastic. I'll keep that in mind for sure. Thanks for having me, Matt.